Hey everybody, I'm Stevie Stroh, host of Coco Talk, and welcome to the re-airing of episode 66, now known as the Lost episode, or the Rage Quit episode, and um, this episode has not been seen by anyone in the past week, so for those who were not here and those who missed it, let me catch you up to speed real quick. Episode 66 started off pretty good. We had a very nice assembly segment by Steve Bjork, part three in his series, and that was great. We were then going to follow that up with some more discussions, and the second discussion that immediately followed that after the commercial break was a discussion on the basic interpreter and how it works and why it's slow and what it does which also kind of morphed into a discussion on how can you optimize the basic interpreter. This was all being provided by James Diffendaffer, who's got lots of experience with um, <clears throat> kind of decompiling basic and looking at it. And what's the word? Uh, deassembling, disassembling basic. So he's disassembled basic for the MC-10. He knows how it works. He's optimized basic for the MC-10. He has optimized basic for the uh, Color Computer 3. So very knowledgeable guy, knows a lot was trying to share all this information with us, and it's great, fascinating, riveting technical discussions, but it was just so much. And at the two-hour point, we've had nothing but tech talk, and my head was literally ready to explode. And so what I should have done was to open my mouth and say something. I should have verbally said, hey, guys, let's take a break or let's pause or let's save some of this for later. I didn't say that which I should have, and so that was my first mistake. And so rather than doing that, I let myself continue to get uh, hot in the ears, and because um, at this point my brain shut down, I couldn't think anymore, I couldn't process anymore. I did put out a little text chat in Skype, and I said, guys, we need to wrap this up or I'm going to rage quit. And I don't know if anybody saw that message, but um, <clears throat> that was the only warning I gave everyone. And Three minutes later went by, and, and everybody's still blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, all right, this is it. Boom. I just hung up on Skype, and boom, I ended the episode. And um, and obviously, I feel bad about doing that. I feel bad for the people who were in the middle of a discussion. It wasn't fair to them. We had a segment going. They had no warning, and I just abruptly ended the Skype call. I abruptly ended um, the live stream. It should also be noted that... We had technical difficulties with Skype that morning, too, because Skype pushed an update down, which really made Skype freaking haywire. That was driving me crazy. My broadcasting software had an update. So we had all these updates going on, and it really felt to me that the whole world was spinning out of control, and I just had this moment of anxiety attack where all of the weight of the world's problems hit me at once, and I was like, F it, and I just hit the hang-up button. So uh, I am not proud of that, but it happened. And since then, luckily, we've had lots of discussions, and we're luckily a very tight-knit group, and um, everybody's kind of gotten over it. I've gotten over it, obviously. I have been forgiven, and as a group, we are all back together, and, and uh, we even that same night got together. And so even though we had a little bit of trauma, a little bit of drama, a little mini tragedy on the show, the same evening we all kind of banded together and started looking for alternatives to Skype because Skype was one of the problems that was just compounded by other things. And so we ended up doing a lot of testing of other ways to communicate not using Skype. And in the process of that, 
actually had some fun times and some good discussions. And so while the original episode 66 ended abruptly in the middle of James Diffendaffer's segment, um, in the middle of that, it kind of ended abruptly. But where that ends, we're going to pick up with some, I've kind of spliced together some clips of our evening conversation where we ended up being able to laugh about the whole thing. So what you're going to see now is uh, nothing has been censored from the original episode, but there's been some value-added content added to the end. And so one of the reasons why I didn't want to air it initially was it just felt like it was incomplete, and I wasn't sure how to complete the episode. I wasn't sure if it should be aired, if we should make a do-over or whatever. But I think for better or for worse, it just needs to be put out there. So there are a couple of great segments, just a bad ending, and I feel bad about how I ended it. I feel bad of how unfair it was to the people speaking and to the people watching. And so um, luckily, um, like I say, we've all moved past it. We've gotten stronger as friends and as a show and as a team. We've banded together. We've got a new solution for, um, for doing our live broadcasts, and we're all living happily ever after. So enjoy the extended edition of episode 66 and i'll probably have one or two more little clips of commentary to warn you when things are about to happen to explain what's going to happen next and for those of you who might be listening to this this might be one you want to watch just to watch my face um and, and the reactions that i start to go through right before i have my meltdown and there's even some cool little clips here that i'm going to add that ken reichert sent me of me melting down i've got some really cool uh, animations of, of me having a meltdown now and i have no idea being the butt of a joke or being part of a running joke whatever serves the show whatever we can do to amuse our audience i'm here to to do that so uh, anyways long-winded introduction to this episode enjoy episode 66 and the bonus content lots of technical difficulties today so here we go coco talk episode 66 is going live in three two let me get the right fingers let's try this over again three two This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Streaming live on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. All right, everybody, welcome to Coco Talk, episode 66. We are going to call this episode of Coco Talk Update Talk <laughs> because everything is updated today at the last minute right before we do it live. So uh, Skype has so graciously decided to update itself today and it is now a, uh, uh, Mess. a, fl a fluster cluck, shall oh, we no, say. Oh no, it just has more undocumented features. Okay. Oh, and I also see little pop-ups here when somebody types in a text chat. So, for example, Mr. Rorschart test here just put a message that said the, the uh, Roku screen stream looks okay. All right. So, as you guys, so anyway, so Skype is updated. Skype is a nightmare right now. The way I can manipulate the screens is gone. The screen layout is a freaking mess. So, um, yeah. So, talking about mandatory updates that just throw everything out the window. But we're here, everybody. We're here. It's episode 66, Coco Talk. Uh, we've got some great discussions and topics to share with you boys <coughs> and girls today. Was that you coughing, Grant? 
Oh, yes. Sorry. Are you okay? Yeah. All right. So welcome <laughs> welcome to Health Talk as we discuss our ailments. Yeah. So a lot of good thing. Um, anyway, so yeah. And I'm so distracted now because the screen is changing on me. It's like, dude, I can't handle distractions. Wow. And the live chat scrolling by. I don't know what's going on. Dogs and cats are living in harmony. It is... It is insane. How about we start by saying hi to the people in the live chat? Because I've already been completely derailed here. So, Mark Overholzer was in the live chat. Ken Ken Make It is in here. Steve Bjork said starting soon. Nick Marota is here. Hey, Nick. Mark Siegel just popped in and said hi. Retro Innovations says, is this thing still on? And uh, Terry Steen and Nick Marota in the live chat. Okay, so now that we've established that, we got that going. Um, and so now when you guys type something in live chat, it pops up over your video feeds too. So it's really distracting me. When you guys are typing in the Skype chat, it pops up and it overlays your video feed. Really screwing with me right now. That's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll deal with it. So uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today, boys and girls. We're going to be talking about... Um, well, Steve Bjork's got a new assembly language segment for us. This will be now part three in our series of, assemb of assembly language discussions. Uh, we are going to talk about um, interpreted basic. Why is basic so slow? That will lead into some discussions on optimizing basic. And then we'll even get into a discussion about um, uh, uh, maybe a new way to compile basic, like a basic cross compiler, which it looks like a few people are working on this. So if you've been following the conversations in Discord, we've had... Um, uh, 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 Brett Gordon has been working on something, a tiny basic compiler that he's played around with and got up and running in Fusix. John Linville has posted something this week where he's got something that can um, start to compile to the MC10, and that's just the beginning of uh, stuff. So yeah, so we're going to talk about assembly, we'll talk about basic being sucky, how to make basic faster, how to optimize basic into assembly, and it's all going to come back to assembly. So there you, there you have it. So on the show today... Very difficult for me to see this now because all the icons <laughs> have changed. So how about we start with the large heads on the feed right now. And the biggest head here, of course, has got to be Grant Leedy. <laughs> it's, it's so big, it generates so much heat, it needs a fan to cool it off. That's right. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so... Um, uh, and so Sixty's saying, did you see the AGD discussions? I'm not, what does AGD stand for? That sounds like some type of uh, thing you need treatment for. Um, so we have Grant Leedy with us. We've got Mark D. Overholzer with us. Hello, Mark. Howdy. We've got uh, Terry Steen is with us. Hey, Steve. How are you? We've got Mr. Hello. Steve Bjork from sunny Southern California. Howdy, y'all. And we have up in the top here in a, a row of, of small, weird icons. I've got uh, James Diffendaffer. looks like a Rorschach test now, an ink blot. How are you, James? Pretty good, and it is a Mandelbrot. A Mandelbrot, okay. To each their own. We've got the angry Muppet himself, Richard Lorbieski of Boisson Technology. Hello, Richard. Uh, hello, yep. Still doing my community service by appearing on this show. We've got Jason the Cocoa <laughs> Man Reichert is here. Hey, everybody. We, we got the thunder from down under. Nicholas Marentes is with us. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. I'm uh, one of the smart ones. I'm still running the old version of Skype. No problem. <laughs> I, I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> uh, 
And for whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason, Skype has kept both the Canadians that have video feeds as small icons for me now. So we've got one little bobblehead up here, L. Curtis Boyle. How's it going, E? I have got my own bobblehead now. I'm pretty proud of that. Let me see. I just made Curtis's head big now, too. So right now, Curtis is the biggest head. And then we also Ooh. have another Canadian, D. Bruce Moore. How are you doing, eh? Hey. Take off, eh? That's what I'm saying uh, to Skype. Yeah. yeah me too. <laughs> oh, okay. So Sixty says that is the arcade game designer, a cross-platform thing that Pear, Surratt, possibly others seem to be helping port to the Dragon and Coco. Oh, yeah. I do remember somebody posting that. It was made for the acorn or the spectrum or something arc the um kind of cross uh cross compiler type thing okay so that's called arcade game designer so that's kind of cool i'm not as up on that but thanks for reminding us there karen um all right so yeah i'm sorry i'm just, i'm completely confused and bewildered right now so i'm a little out of sorts but uh anybody this week have anything they want to talk to us about in the way of project acquisitions or updates and and if you are if you have a larger discussion we'll save it for the segment so make sure you keep your updates kind of short but anybody got any new toys this week or anything they've been working on not me i've been not- too busy with work I, I've been too busy too, so I have nothing. Okay. Yeah, uh, no new toys, but I did do my retro bright, and so I'm posting it to Discord, and oh. it's so cool. Can you hold it up on camera for us <laughs> to see? You got it with you? Uh, I got it on my iPhone, shooting it to ret- or Discord right now. I didn't know if uh, you would want me to do a screen share or something like that. You could, or if you put it on camera or screen share your Discord. I don't care how you do that, but yeah. Um, Let me try. I'll, All right. I'll, I'll have to figure All it right, out. So we'll, so we'll move on while you're figuring that out. Uh, Bruce Moore, anything new with you? Uh, yes. Uh, Coco Forever Episode 5 is uh, locked and loaded, ready for whoever needs it. Ready to be uh, obtained and, and enjoyed? Yeah. I just finished the upload now, and uh, it has a large video segment. So the story continues. All right, well, why don't we do that real quick? How about we just run a Coco Forever teaser here real quick to remind everybody. You guys won't hear it because I don't know how to share system sound in the updated Skype, but we're going to do that real quick. So here's our Coco Forever teaser for those who don't know. Oh, yeah. That's for episode four. Yeah, whatever. It's a teaser. I, guess I need to make a new one. <laughs> yeah. And here, see, I got this little bonus window right here that I'll just put in the middle. I have this little bonus window that Skype is giving me. So now I see Bruce. This window here seems to be dynamic. What the hell just... Oh, what is this, dude? Who just popped up this picture on my Skype, dude? I don't know what's going on here. Skype, Skype is freaking me out. I have uh, no idea what's going on right now. Yeah, I don't either. All right. So, you know, we got to find a new way to do this show. I you swear to God. You probably move... You can move the little window. I move it to the side. When the yeah, main Skype um, loses focus, it pops up. I think we should start with maybe some coffee cans and strings, uh, something. But this is becoming a freaking nightmare trying to do this show. Um, all right. So you've been working on... Um, You've been working on uh, Coco Forever Episode 5. And so this is where I think some people get confused is because you started with Episode 0. So before, when you had Episode 4 out there, that was technically the fifth episode. 
And now you have episode five, which is technically the sixth episode, right? So yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> they're all out there. And Grant is crying with his little sad emojis. This is really freaking me out. It's like Skype has be <laughs> Skype has become like Snapchat now or some bullshit. I don't. I am just not. Quit screwing around, Grant. Grow up. All right, we're doing a professional show here. All right, stop with the freaking emojis. <laughs> So, <laughs> Nick Morota says, uh, starting with episode zero, epic. All right, so this is what I would do. I do have an acquisition that I'll gladly show you guys, and Karen is in the live chat. But Karen was kind enough to send me uh, his Dungeons game on cassette. I don't know if you guys also follow the Dragon Group, but are you guys all familiar with the port that Karen did of the Dungeons game? I think we yes, looked at it once, right? So Game yeah, kind of a gauntlet type game that supports four players at once We're using both two keyboards and two two keyboards, but two joysticks and the split keyboard layout. <laughs> so, so nice looking cassette, um, brand new case here, and um, with the inside and and I just happen to remember what this is called, but the inside of a cassette tape is actually called a J card, right? Because it looks like the letter J when you turn it sideways. So, when you open up the J card here. It's actually very nice. It's glossy. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice and heavy stock, right? So on the back here, you see your cover. You see some uh, printing stuff. My camera and lighting make it really hard to focus and see, but just pretend like you know what it says here. And on the inside, you got pictures of the maze and the different things to do and the pickups and power-ups. So it's like a very full-color, glossy manual with the cassette. Matter of fact, this is better production than most of the cassettes we had back in the day right i can vote okay. for that definitely <laughs> oh, yeah, so, so this came to us all the way from the uk and thank you karen for putting that together and th th i think he had brought these to the uh, most re recent um dragon meetup right and so he had brought some there and then he had posted something saying you know if i have a few left over if anybody would like them so i, I said yes me 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 i would like one so um cool thanks karen for sending that out to me um, so that's kind of my project acquisition. I, um, I also acquired the uh, Phoenix IDE from Roger Taylor, for those who've been following that. Um, he has that on sale right now for $29. I don't fully understand how to use it just yet, but we are all working in Discord now to put our heads together to understand how to use it, and we'll hopefully be able to have an update for that. Um, and I also worked with Ron Klein this week to get the latest image of Cocoa Pie up to date and we're going to have Ron Klein join us to do a proper Cocoa Pie uh, preview and discussion but if anybody would like to see it maybe later in the show I can at least show off just what does it look like how do you boot it up how do you launch an emulator how do you play a game and just do a quick a real quick look at the Cocoa Pie but we're going to do a more in-depth look at the Cocoa Pie that there's so many things that this thing can do it's absolutely amazing um, the the emulating and the playing the game parts that's the easy part but it's all the behind the scenes stuff that Cocoa Pie does that I find really really impressive so Sean Ernst says yes please um, does that, I think that means he wants to see the Cocoa Pie so we've got that going on um, all right, what else? Have I missed anything? Did anybody else mention that they had a, uh, a project update or uh, acquisition they wanted to share? I can save anything for the segment. Save it for the segment there, James? Okay. Yep. All right, so what I'll do here real quick is I will show you some, hmm. num some numbers uh, from last week's show. And if I can find out where my stuff is going here. 
All right, so we are we are actually now at very close to 9,700 downloads. I grabbed these numbers this morning. So we're close to 9,700 total lifetime downloads of audio and video podcasts, which is nice. Last week's episode, which we debuted a new segment called Core Dump, which I think everybody really enjoyed, we got 191 views on that episode as of this morning. Not bad. Um, then we got 41 audio downloads, 55 video downloads for a total of 287 um, consumptions of last week's show. So not bad there. We're, we are now like in this kind of 300 zone, which is what it seems like we're averaging every week between the YouTube and the audio and the video podcast. We're, we're right around 300, um, you know, v- reaches. We're reaching 300 people on a weekly basis. So that's kind of cool, right? Uh, so we got that going. There was, um, I'm trying to see, was there any good feedback from, from last week's show in the comments? Uh, let's see real quick. Uh, I got a few people. What the hell just happened here? Seems like my, I don't know what the hell's going on, but my computer's now running a little slow and glitchy. Uh, a couple comments on my cosmic alien games. We got a few people. Dr. X was, was mentioning. I'll just switch it back where you guys can see it too. Cause I'm looking, you can't see it. So Dr. X also gave me a few links to a couple of, uh, TRS 80 videos to check out TRS 80 being that band that we showed off. Um, handful of feedbacks as I've been showing the progress of, of cosmic aliens. One of the suggestions was to, was to use a compiler, which I've mentioned that that's not part of my initial plan. You know, I'm not trying to make a compiled version. I I have, I have a plan and I got phases in which I want to do this stuff at. So, but yeah, so a little bit of feedback there. Um, and have I missed anything so far, guys? We doing good? I don't know why. I just feel like I'm completely out of it. Okay, so how about we do this? We will talk about our sponsors real quick, maybe take a quick break, and then we'll jump back in. And Steve, you want to do the assembly segment first? And that, that would be a good idea. Feed into everything else? Well, I still have a voice. Well, you still have a voice. All right, so let's take a quick moment to acknowledge some of our sponsors and, and community members, people we want to say hi to and want to say thank you to. So we always want to uh, remind everybody about the Coco VGA project. Very cool uh, project. If you've got a Coco one or two or Dragon and you want to uh, connect it with a better looking display with some other bonus options, check that out at Coco VGA. Richard Laurie Bieski is uh, at BoysonTech.com where he right now he's got his joystick joystick adapters and 6309s and sockets. And what else you got on the website right now, Richard? You got anything uh, else going going on there? Oh no, no, not yet. Okay. Jim Brain is go the number four retro.com retro innovations. You can get all kinds of cool stuff for all kinds of retro systems, Texas instrument systems, Commodore systems, and Coco stuff. Uh, Cloud Nine Technology making color computer projects products for over twenty years at Cloud the Number Nine Tech.com. SDPack.com is where you can learn how to make a bootable SD card. Jason the Coco Man Rikert's got the switcheroo cable rgb2 scart at cocoman.biz or coco3scartcable.com we are on roku james did you verify we're on roku where's ron delvo where the hell is ron ron's also our roku we, guy we are on roku we're on roku all right so if you want to get yourself we, a cool we are well i we were at the start of the show. We might not be now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roku has standards apparently. So um, <laughs> you get all kinds of cool T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other cool items at Retro Swag Shop, abay256.com. Uh, you can reach us at cocotalk.live, and you can send us an email there, feedback for the show, suggestions, segments, comments, etc. 
the Coco Crew podcast available at cococrew.org. Our good friend Brian Joyce at fd501.com. That's our Extructus Productions. And let's not forget Ed Snyder, the guy who makes everything but the kitchen sink at the Zipster Zone. Z-I-P-P-S-T-E-R zone.com. All right, so we've mentioned our sponsors. We are about ready to get into the meat of the show. We're going to take about a minute and a half commercial break, and we'll be back, and then we're going to get into some assembly language with Steve Bjork. Are you guys ready? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Yay. Yay. Yeah, actually, this is the best part of the show. This is without Steve talking. All right. So. Oh, All right. So I got distracted. The Skype helper app is pegging my four-core CPU at 280% right now, and it's dragging oh, my system down. So. Yeah, we gotta, we're going to have to figure out an alternative. Yeah, we need, we so. need We need a backup platform at this point. All right, guys, we're going to take a break here, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Strope. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer three that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Well, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer 3 from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer 3 makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word process. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer 3. Only at Radio Shack. All right, we're back. We are back, and this is exciting. <laughs> this is a nightmare. So <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Is a Skype update. I got to tell you. So um, we're here. 
And we're going to come back. I know Steve is, might not be back with us yet, but we're going to have an assembly language uh, part three in our series on learning the basics of assembly. All right. Oh, I am here. And I told to turn my camera on. Okay. Well, I don't see your camera in the main feed, but that's okay. Um, we're going to be showing off your, your, your slideshow here. So yeah. I will go ahead and switch over to that. Okay. So I've got your slide up, and I'm not sure if you can see it or not. Oh, there. I can see it. Okay. Plus, I got it local. All right. Okay. Today is part three. Or lesson three, I should say. We're doing um, part one of the 6809 command set or instruction set. And we're also going to talk a little bit about memory addressing modes. That's how the CPU talks to the 64K of memory out there. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, let's see. Uh, Let's kind of dive into it rather than doing a recap and look at and basically an instruction line. And I've got a sample of that where you see the word start, then LDA, then a pound sign in 02. Most instructions are always going to be some simple three or four letter word followed by some sort of extension to the command and uh, that start that's called a label there are no line numbers in the um, assembly language system instead you have labels that reference some point in the program so don't have to worry about doing renums and moving things around and like that like that now basically labels reference labels, they always start at the beginning of the line. That's the thing. There's no, you know, right at the beginning after you do, you know, hit enter, you would type in the label. Now, commands and other information, they always start on the second character. So you can simply hit space or tab to get to the actual instructions of the code. And that's the way this assembler works. If there's the first thing in there, Oh, uh, that means that that's a label. And if it's got at least one space, then it says, oh, these must be the uh, mnemonics of the assembly language, your commands. And spaces can be one, they can be five, they can be 20, whatever you want. They can be multiple tabs. The assembler will understand that and move on. So it's just some type of delimiter between the the label and then the command. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like fields. You've got a, yeah. a label field, and then you've got an instruction field, and then you've got your optional part of the instruction field, and then you've got comments after that. And more importantly, there's only going to be one command per line. Now, in basic, we would go through and do those colons and have multiple commands per line because we're trying to save space. We really don't need to say space because the assembler will assemble it down into the actual machine language of the computer, and a space here, a space there has no effect on what the output is, what that final program is. So why don't we go ahead and go 
to the next slide. All right, let's take a look at, a, at what that line system was doing. As we said before, the start was a label, a reference. The LDA is load the A register. Well, much like Linux and like that, assembly language was always short, sweet, simple commands. They wouldn't do load A. No, that makes it too long and hard to type in. So they do help. Excuse me. They do LD for load. Then you've got the A register. So they put the A down. And then the the pound sign O2. Well, the first part is O2. That's the number. But what that pound sign's trying to tell you, this is immediate. That means that within the instruction, you're going to have the O2. And that's going to be loaded into the A register. That's a type of addressing mode called immediate. They, they actually store the number in the instruction. And that 02 is technically a hex number? Actually, I just did it. It could have been simply 2 because leading zeros are ignored. But I just did it 02. Yeah. It defaults to decimal in this case. If you put the dollar sign before it, it'll go to hex. And in the case okay. of two, it's the same either way. But right. Okay. Yeah. This this is decimal. Okay. And then you also have binary when you put a percent sign in front of it. And we won't talk about octal because you never use it on the six <laughs> eight on I. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. Okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and go to the next slide? Now, you can load up A using other addressing modes. So you could actually grab up an A from some location in memory or some I.O. port, whatever, transfer the contents. And typically, when you're doing this, use the extended, especially the I.O. registers. And so load A FF02 will load it from that PIA that's sitting at that location. Because the way the COCO works is your I.O. ports are memory mapped. They're in the same general locations, loading stuff, just like you do from memory. It's just that the COCO says this part here is not memory. It's I.O. space. And then it can talk to the peripherals and like that. In the I'm going to try and do all this stuff in the beginning as... Uh, Strictly um, Cocoa 1 and 2. We're going to keep it simple. We're not going to start throwing in things like gimme registers and stuff like that. Later, we'll, we'll put that stuff in and confuse the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, the, see, the thing about when you do a load A extended, it the instruction includes the 16-bit address of where you're getting the information. So the first part of the load A, that's one byte. And then you got two more bytes that contain the 16-bit or two words, uh, two byte words of the address. So it takes three bytes to actually do that instruction. Now, the infamous wisdom of Mole Roll when they designed this chip, they knew that you're going to have to have some storage that you could get to very quickly. So they came up with something called direct uh, addressing. 
and this is where the instruction includes just a single byte to reference the location you're trying to read from. Ah, but remember, addressing's always 16 bits. Well, you get the other eight bits from the direct page register. Now, originally, in the early 6800 series, the direct page was always zero. Same with 6502. Yep. In the 6809, they came up with a register that you could load up. So you could move that pretty much anywhere in memory. So you had 256 direct pages that you could reference. OS9 uses this quite a bit, which yes. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get curious to talk about towards the end with the uh, extra stuff that we'll be throwing into the lessons. One thing I wanted to mention, too, like given the two examples you have on your slide, if you wanted to use direct page for your first extended address, you could do that by loading DP with FF, which would be the page number that it's in, and then you could do a load A02, and it would grab it from FF02. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that, that. But see, in the case of OS nine, you can have multiple programs running simultaneously. And if you only had one direct page, that would be a problem because they'd all be writing to the same page. So when a program starts up, the direct page is pointed to the direct page of that program. Yeah, just one of the niceties of having an operating system do that stuff. Now we're not going to be getting into OS nine like that. You're going to be doing everything. You're going to be doing all the work the OS9 did, all the stuff that the stuff Disk Basic did or Extended Basic did, and like that. So we're going to, we're going to be just we're not doing ROM calls, we're not doing operating system calls. We're just doing very basic 6809 stuff. And we do actually have uh, in the second half of our lesson today an actual 6809 program with comments to help you through. And that's another thing, too, is that on every line, you can put a comment down. You can make a, a line entirely a comment if you want. And the better you start commenting your code, the better you'll understand what your code's doing months later when it's not fresh in your mind. Also, if you're grabbing code from somebody else, it's kind of nice if they did a nice job commenting the code, explaining what they're trying to do. Anyways, um, but just trying to finish off uh, direct page, think of it as shorthand version of the extended uh, dressing. It just makes it faster. It's a byte shorter. It's a clock cycle faster. It's because it's short, it makes things a little faster. So, you, you know, the, the fastest you can access any information is accessing information that's already inside the CPU, like the index registers, the A and B registers, and stuff like that. But the um, direct page is kind of a compromise between a more elaborate dressing, like uh, extended, and talking to the actual registers. So you might kind of look at the direct page as 256 slower internal registers. And that becomes very handy later. Hmm. Why don't we go to the next slide? By the way, the 6502 depends completely on the uh, direct page. All they right. They have the one. <laughs> yeah, they have the one. That's it. All right. 
Um, you can also load up the A registers using some of the different uh, index addressing modes. And I've got an example here, load A with 45 comma X. And what that's actually doing is you've got your X register pointing somewhere in memory. And then the 45 says, do it 45 bytes later than where the X is pointing. Now, the interesting thing is it does, while it internally adds 45 to X, X doesn't change. That's the important thing to remember. X is unaffected, but it will point to the uh, thing later. Now, um, this particular instruction, uh, the 45 um, is going to be stored in inside the instruction as one byte. So it'll actually be something on the terms of three bytes for this instruction. So that's the thing you'll have to get used to is depending on the instruction and what addressing modes you might use, the instructions can vary quite a bit. Um, Curtis, I think it's what? Like a load Y with a 16-bit index is about one of the longest. Yeah, because uh, load Y has the pre-byte, pre so it's two bytes just to say it's a load Y, and then you've got, 16, or you got your index register index portion that tells you which register you're indexing off of. Then you've got another two bytes for what memory address it offsets it's at. So it's like five bytes for one, one instruction. Exactly. Where if you do an ink or an ink A, increment A, it's one byte. So yeah. it goes from one to five bytes. And these are important because every time instruction has a little bit more weight to it by these bytes, well, the CPU's got to go out there and read the instruction, so it's got to read five bytes, and that slows it down. See, um, the reason why you program assembly is you want to go fast, and you got to figure out the fastest way in assembly to do what you're trying to do to keep that speed. And eventually, we'll get more into how big the instructions are, are and how to calculate them in probably the next lesson. Or two. It gets complicated. <laughs> I just but. wanted to point out, too, with the index register, I mean, it's like index cards, like if you're looking up something, so in this case, 45 com X, that means you have a table of some data at X. Let's say mm. it's positions on the screen. Let's say you've got a storage of, you know, sprites or something on a screen. This would be the 45th entry in that table. That's why you don't change X, because then you can reference other ones without having to, like, add and subtract every single time to the X register. What was that psychedelic lamb? Uh, that's somebody, <laughs> somebody who just followed the, the um, like a subscriber. <laughs> yeah, we loaded forty-five comma acid there. Yeah. <laughs> now this is only an example of one particular indexing. There is a lot of them, and actually, that's the power of the sixty-eight hundred nine over the other earlier processors. It gave you lots of ways to index memory and get to it the best way. I always like to say, there, it was never trying to figure out, is there a way to do my job in the 69? It was just trying to figure out the best way to get that code to work because yeah. it gave you so many options. Let's go to the next page. Yeah, the other the other 8-bit CPUs at the time, because it's so few indexing registers, you might have to do three or four instructions in a row to do the same thing you can do in the 69 with one. Mm-hmm. 
definitely. Um, yeah, we'll wait until you get to the indirect index option. That's going to blow your mind. I'm going to le- definitely love watching <laughs> Stevie's yeah, we want Steve on camera up. when that happens. Stevie's going to have to be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> it's complicated to explain, but it is so powerful. Anyways, um, and, and continuing with the index, we have this little comma X. It means there's no offset. It's a, one of the quickest ways to access something using an index register. X is pointing somewhere. We want that. Uh, very handy for when you're going to the same location over and over again. Makes very fast. Then you've got the uh, one I, these are just a few of them, not all of them, of the indexing modes. Now, it looks a little funny with this comma X plus. What that means is, go ahead, use the X register to reference that memory location. But when you're done, add one to X. Gee, what do you think something like that's used for? How about clearing the screen? Mm-hmm. You, just, you just move to a new X. position. Yeah. yeah, move to the next position. So you don't have to have an extra command to move X down the row. You can actually do it all in one instruction. So like, for like, an, like it's, it's like a, it's like a self-learning for next loop. Yep. Kind of. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. And then of course we got that other example from earlier, forty-five comma X. And the main thing to remember about this, it kind of adds forty-five to the X address, but it's not actually adding it to X internally inside the CPU. It has mathematical units and it loads up X adds 45 and that now points to where it wants to go where it wants to get the information you can also do interesting things such as having one of your accumulators A, B or D use as an offset to the X register by the way when I'm using X register it's X, Y, U or S the the four index registers and uh so once again, it adds it internally to the value that's in the X register and the A register together, and that now points to where you're looking at memory. And this comes in handy for doing things like old sprite manipulation and, and other references going in index, index tables. And we'll do a bunch more of these later. Now why don't we go ahead and go to the next slide. Now we're going to actually show you a program. Now these program, this program I'm going to show you is not designed to be efficient. It's designed to let you understand what's going on. After all, it's always better for a teacher to educate their students at the level that they're best learning at, opposed to trying to demonstrate how tricky and how smart you are in assembly. You'll just confuse them. Anyways, you can see the word start as the first line there, and that is the point that you enter this bit of code. And do, you, do you have to have a command after start, or in this case here, start is its own, its own blank line, basically? You, you do either. not. You, yeah. It just says, the first thing in, in a line, that is my label. And I like labels that explain what you're doing and like that. All right. The first real command, if you notice, it's been pushed over a little bit, 
by a few spaces. Mm-hmm. Load X with one three two zero. That's a decimal number, and that is going to be used for the length of the tone. This program is going to actually create a sound, a tone. And this allows me to set how long the tone will be. I'll run roughly about three seconds. Now we have, we're going to be doing loops. They're like four next things inside BASIC, but you don't really have a four next. You, you have things with labels and counters and branch instructions, and we're going to go through all those. So time loop is the main outer loop of trying to create a tone, which is nothing more than running for a short while low and then making the sound output port go high and running at a certain length of time, then back to low, and then after a time, bringing it back high. And what you're doing is you're just ta- causing the speaker in the TV monitor or whatever to go in and out at that speed. And so the first thing I do, load a with the pound sign. That means immediate O2. So the O2 or the number two is inside that instruction and loads it up into the A register. The store at dollar sign FF22, well, the dollar sign is hexadecimal. That's the hexadecimal address of the 6-bit DAC port. Now, also on the DAC port, in one of the bits, that's not you know, that's not part of the DAC, since their you know, port is 8 bits, is the status of the output serial line on the bit banger port. And it has to be high. If you make it low, it puts out weird information to your printer. So when it's not printing anything, it's always high. So we have to make sure that is high. Is that the FFs? Those are the all-ons, or is that well, no, the zero two. The zero two is making bit. Yeah, bit zero, and you got bit one. Bit one is the two. Okay. Remember our math. Uh, yep. Each bit goes uh, yep. either zero or one, zero or two, zero or four. Well, yep. that's what we're getting at. Yeah. So the, this is so one the, case where I usually use the percent sign because for me, it, in my brain, it makes it a bit clearer if I actually put the individual bits so I know exactly which bit I'm turning on or off. But that's yeah. just me. So that's yeah. the, so then and you're I, putting in the binary number. You're going to be actually putting in a 1-0 then for the number 2 in binary? Yes, exactly. So you put, uh, but, okay. But I didn't use it in this, in this example because I didn't want to confuse people. Right. Now, computationally, is it faster for the 6809 to process that binarily rather than decimally? Actually, what's going on here is the assembler is converting it into binary. Yeah, okay, as far so as the 6709 is concerned, the end result is the code the assembler is going to generate is exactly the same. There's okay. no change. You can so then, specify so this, octal, this, binary, decimal, hex. The assembler takes care of that. Okay, so this, this becomes kind of the personal preference of the programmer at this point, how they wish to notate things either decimal exactly. binary or even hash. Exactly. could you have low now that the hashtag 
the pound sign means loaded immediately, but the zero two, if you wanted to put that in as a hex number, would you put like dollar two? Yep. Yep. Okay, but by putting zero two, by by not putting a punctuation in front of the number, it's assumed to be decimal. Correct. Right. Okay, dollar is hex, and then what was the other one for binary? Percent. Percent for binary. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking. Yep. Well, you know, if we can keep Steve's mind from blowing up, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> it's a win. Yeah. Anyways, um, so what we do is we've loaded up this number that we want to put in the I.O. port. We put in FF22, and what that does is it makes all the bits of the digital-to-analog converter low or zero. So it puts the output of the DAC at the lowest level. Now, what, as I say, what is confusing, the top six bits is the DAC. And the next bit down, that's the serial port on the back of Coco. And I forget what the, the lowest bit is, but that's an input bit. doesn't matter. Now, load B with 144. This is going to be used for counting how long we wait in a loop while we have the thing low. So, you know, it, I just loaded up the B register. I could have loaded up the A register, but I just chose the B register for this one. Why don't we go ahead and go to the next slide? This slide is mostly the time delay loop for how long we're keeping it low before we go up high. And then what it does, it'll actually go up high. So let's go through it quickly. DEC means decrement or subtract one. The B means do it from the B register. Now this is a very quick, simple instruction. It's um, one byte long, two clock cycles, happens very quick. Then we have the next instruction. And I haven't talked about these at all before. The B and E stands for branch if not equal. What the hell is that? Well, sounds like if then else. It's kind, kind of like of. that. Kind of like yeah. that. But what do you mean equal? I don't. I didn't do anything with an equal sign. Ah, equal. Another way to look at it is branch if not zero. And for some reason, they didn't want to do that. They want to do equal instead of putting a Z down. And it's the way Motorola decided to call the instructions. But basically what it says is the previous instruction, it's going through and it's taking the value um, from 144 to 143, 140, you know, et cetera. But eventually when it gets down to zero. That's your, that's, count, that's your, that's your delay counter loop right there, those right, three lines. Okay. Exactly. Okay, Those I follow nice. that. Yeah, you could also think of the E for empty, branch if not empty, right? If it's not zero. Well, let's keep to zero. The reason okay. why is when you do a mathematical operation, which is what subtracting one from B is, you set some flags uh, that are part of the CPU. You have a flag uh, if the number is negative. You have a flag if it's zero. You have something called an overflow flag, and like that. So a flag gets set when you do a math-mac operation, 
And in this case, we're looking to see if we finally get down to zero. You're going to find that when it comes to working with the CPU, it's better to do countdown loops because it's just easier to think about. Because you put, I got to do this 10 times. So you put number 10 in the counter, you keep decrementing until you reach zero. You've now done it 10 times. So the branch, if not equal, means it's going to go back to that tone loop low. This is where we're keeping the thing low. Well, all right, we've gone through our time to have that thing low. The next step is to make the DAC go to 63, which is the maximum what the DAC could be. That's the highest voltage. So what we'll do is we'll load A with FE. That's all the bits being set except for the bottom one, which, which really be, didn't matter. FF, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it makes the DAC 63, and then we store it into the DAC port. And that so, makes so you you lo you loaded the number L load A says basically plug this number into register A, store A then says take it from A and then stick it into address FF twenty which is a DAC port. Right. That's one thing we do not have on the processor is to take immediate number and stick it straight to memory and stick it straight in the stuff. You have to go into the processor then out again. There okay. are there are some CPUs that have that ability, but they're far and few between. And then once again, we load up 144 and B for our counting loop. So let's go ahead and see what the next page is. It's almost identical. The first thing we have is a t delay loop called tone loop high where we've got the thing high. So we decrement B, do the same thing. Branch, if not equal, in other words, if we haven't got the zero flag set because we got down to zero in the B register, go back and loop again. Uh, basically go back to the uh, decrement B. Now we have a brand new instruction after that. And it's probably the hardest one for some folks to learn about the 6809. Load the effective address that's coming next into the X register. Well, if you notice, there's a negative one, comma X. So remember before I talked about... What am about, I not seeing here? I think you got to go up a page, Steve. Did I go, did oh. I go too high? Hold on. No, for the other direction, yeah. Uh, one more? One more? There you are. There you go. Okay, I went the wrong direction. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm like, what's this you guy talking You decked when about? you should have inked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, as I said, this is similar to the previous page where we decrement B to a branch, if not equal, back to this the top of this delay loop. But the next instruction of load effective address X means whatever you create for the address next to it, put that in X. And effectively, it means you can use any of the addressing modes that sit for the index registers, do a calculation, and put it in the X register. And I'm using this one to do a count backwards down in a fairly large number. Because 
when we're doing this tight up and down on the tone, the number was less than 256. So we could use a single 8-bit counter. But this other guy here is much larger. It's a 16-bit number. So what we have to do, we have to use a 16-bit counting system. And the index registers happen to be 16-bit. So we're decrementing the X register. I know it looks so fine, and we're going to cover it much more in detail later about the instruction. But just remember, this is doing a 16-bit size counter. Yeah. The, way, the way I view load effective address that made it easier for me to understand when I began was that I view that basically as the equivalent of x equals x minus 1. Because mm -hmm. that's what it's doing. It's taking whatever's in x, subtracting one from it, and then putting it back into x. If you change that to say an LDA y minus 1 comma x, then it would be y equals x minus 1. And then exactly. there's all the other indexing modes you can add registers together in large numbers, small numbers. It's It's quite a great instruction to have. Yeah, it, w it was introduced first on 6809, and it really per the power. Now, we've got that branch, if not equal, or in other words, branch, if not zero, to go back up to the time loop. And if we go back t two pages. There's our time well, loop. There's right. the time loop. So mm -hmm. it's going to run through all that stuff again. And it's going to do it 13, 20 times. And what that's going to roughly do is create a tone of about 440 hertz for three seconds. Hmm. Because this timing loop will run roughly for three seconds. And each of those highs and lows are half of what 440 would be. Because... When you're looking at, at a tone where you've got a number going, you know, up and down, you got to wait half of the speed of the tone. And then you get you add the two together, and you've got the full speed of the tone of the 440. So this is starting to give you an idea uh, also how we go through and try to, well, let's, uh, let's see, let's get you back on a, on that final page where it's got at the top the, uh, okay, you're there on the high tone loop. Anyways, after we complete doing this, I load A with zero two and then store A into the DAC port. That's bringing it low and leaving it off. Turning off the DAC when you're done? Yep, exactly. We got to clean okay. up after ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the RTS? That basically kind of ends the code and returns. That that stands for return. Um, and, and we'll get into how RTS works. That's um, after we finishes all the index stuff because that's a powerful instruction. It allows us to create subroutines that can get used over and over again, just like in BASIC where you got to go mm -hmm. sub and right. goes off and does something. Well, this ends the routine. Okay. Kind of like return in BASIC. Yeah, return to sender. Okay. Now, if you want to load up, you know, get, you know, all the 6809 instructions, just do a Google search for 6809 instruction set. And there's uh, several good websites and PDFs that are out there.
Yeah, Darren good. Atkinson's is my favorite one. He's he's got the six through nine stuff in there too that if you want, but it actually highlights them so you know which ones are for which chip. And uh, he's also the guy that designed the original Coco SDC, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Right. Now we're also just going to stay with one thing. We're only doing sixty eight on nine here. We're not doing sixty three on nine. Yes. I don't want to confuse you that much. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that uh, if you download Darren's, which is a very well laid out manual and explains everything really nicely, even sample codes, bits and stuff, that you are aware there is six or nine stuff in there. So make sure you read carefully. Yeah. But um, any, anyways, um, how how did that go for you, Steve? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Yeah, I was hoping to avoid blowing your mind. Uh, I was hoping David would be on later to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, when yeah. we get to extend it or indirect index, that'll that'll blow his mind. So I'm not yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, you know, also when we got to get in there and show them why you would use that, and that's the extra level on top of it. Lists lovely things. It'd be like teaching him three dimensional arrays. That's what's gonna be. Like. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good for today. We don't want to go too yeah. long with this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And now, this message. Hi, I'm Mike Rowan, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And when you're done watching, come over and listen to the Coco Crew podcast. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Stroh play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at CocoTalk.com. Live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. No, that's good. Yeah. Any, any follow questions so far? any of the viewers that are on the call or, or including Stevie? Yeah, I was just trying to scroll through the slides again um, as I was looking through it to see if anything came to mind because I didn't want to interrupt too much during the presentation. Um... There's so a you, question from, from yeah. um, Mark Siegel about uh, why why didn't you use the single bit sound port instead of the DAC? Where is that in, in the live chat? Yeah, live chat. Scroll back a bit. Okay. Yeah, I could always do that, but you know, my my guess is that because eventually you'll be using six bit sound to use you know to do better sound generation you could do with one bit so why not just start with the good right. one to start start with the code yeah start with the code yeah. in place in the first place yeah and then yeah and of course the reason why i picked this particular style you know i could have had you changing a byte on the screen for this sample i just wanted to give you an idea of what code looks like now i yeah. could go through and rewrite this code so it'd be only maybe about six lines of code uh-huh. Or something like that. But it was confused the hell out of you. Sure, sure. So this is like the um the more uh verbose way of breaking it down where you can explain it step by step. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this will create roughly a four hundred and forty hertz hertz tone 
for about uh, three seconds. Neat. Mm-hmm. Neat, neat, neat. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to, um, hopefully I'm only a few slices of knowledge away from figuring out how to use this little um, IDE that I've got. And so then not only can I work on basic stuff, but I've already got the same tool. I can start plugging in some assembly stuff all in the same tool and putting it on the same disk image and, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get, um, you know, trying to get my work environment set up to where I'll be ready for this hopefully very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, cool stuff. Anybody else in the live chat? And a lot of conversation going on in the live chat. A lot of sidebar stuff going on. Um, so, yeah. Uh, seems like most of the people in the chat are already seem to be somewhat familiar with assembly and uh, and the processors and things like that. So, a lot of that conversation going. On. Anybody else in the live chat here that's with us uh, have any questions or comments or anything else? Yeah, and more for, more so from the beginners too, because I mean that's who we're trying to steer yeah. this towards. Yeah. yeah, you know that's the thing is somebody that's already familiar with assembly is going to get awful bored with these lessons. <laughs> until we get into the, some of the more complicated stuff. But the the main thing is that you should have some experience programming in assembly, in BASIC. And that's what I'm basing this on. So you've been experienced with some of the concepts that are involved in programming. But we're trying to teach you a new language. But you can see that you, we're doing a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of get an idea of how we're setting up the program. And about half of what I'm going to have in these lessons is trying to take a real-world example and how you use the language to do it, what instructions do it, and why they do it, and why you're particularly picking this one over that one. A good example was I was using the B register to do the timing loop for the up and down of the system where in the case of um, how long this thing should run for I was using the X register because I wanted a 16-bit counter and other than using the index registers there's no good 16-bit counter type thing inside the 6809 6309 that's a different story but uh, you know and by the way we could have stored a number in the direct page and decrement that that location in direct page to do the same thing too. So if you needed the A and B registers to do part of the operation of this loop, you could use a memory location as a counter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could use D as a 16-bit of... counter as well, but then you wouldn't have A or B because that's combined makes D. You wouldn't have A or B free to actually write stuff to the DAC. So that's mm-hmm. why Steve right. chose X instead. Yeah, and one of the and, uh, critical things when you go to the sixty-eight hundred three is you you have fewer registers, so incrementing or decrementing memory is kind of important. Yeah. So you know there there's lots of trade offs like that. But as I said, we're going to keep this sixty-eight hundred nine, not the any of the uh, other processors, because if we start throwing other processors yep. into the mix, you are going to get totally confused on what you're supposed to do. Okay. Yeah, and I know the purpose of this right now is to keep it simple and to slowly build a foundation. 
Uh, Mark Siegel just says, you should have talked about the user stack as one of the addressing modes. And I don't know if you mentioned that in an earlier presentation. I, I know you talked about all the different registers. Yep. And well, for this sample, we didn't use it. Mm -hmm. uh, later, the U register is going to get used. The S register is going to get used. And we'll go through that stuff. Mm -hmm. And there are some considerations why you would want to use one register and the other. Now, one thing, you know, trying to blow Stevie's mind here real fast. When you do arithmetic work on things like the A and B and the D register, they affect the condition codes of whether or not something's zero, whether or not there's a carry or whatever. Well, the load effective address command, you saw me there where I used it to affect the zero flag <coughs> by decrementing it by one. And that works on the Y and X register. Does not work on the S, or, you know, the stack register, the S register, or the user stack register. And when we get to those, we'll go into Y. But they do not affect these um, zero flag. Okay. And there's reasons for it. And I see Curtis going, <laughs> I know those reasons too. <laughs> Well, Mikey, our good friend Mikey, who has given us our uh, DriveWire Python tool, he says, uh, I was watching the assembly tutorial while driving and survived. <laughs> <laughs> you was watching? <laughs> Next he'll do it while hang gliding. Hopefully one eye was on the road, Mikey. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, my, speaking of Mikey, when Ron Klein was giving me some of the behind-the-scenes on the Cocoa Pie the Python DriveWire server is one of the options that's on there. And the nice thing about that is it'll let you use Disk Extended Color Basic with, uh, you know, uh, like stuff that ordinarily would require OS 9 to do, like your IP Telnet BBSing stuff in, in um, on a, an RS-DOS, shall we say. So that's one of the nice things about that um, Python DriveWire. So thanks for, thanks for make sure you always drive safe, uh, Mikey. Um <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, we probably need to take a, a brief commercial break, but um, uh, James Diffendaffer, would you like to be up next to talk? And we'll talk about some of the optimizations you're working on that can lead into why is basic slow and et cetera, et cetera. Does that work? Um, I'm probably going to start with why is basic is slow, and then you'll understand the optimizations better. But that, yeah, I can be next. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a brief commercial break and we'll be back and so thank you steve bjork and yes not everybody's camera's coming through right now on my skype feed so i, I don't i don't understand why but that's okay i know what you guys look like so um yeah so we'll come back and we'll talk about why is basic slow um and get into some optimizations if anybody wants to see it i can show some updates i have to my cosmic aliens that's been using some basic optimizations and just how i've gained a little bit more speed in my game loop i can show something visually um all right so we'll be back thank you thank you all for being here 22 people watching us live right now on youtube 26 people combined from some of the other mediums so we'll be back in just a few people thank you everybody we'll return after
after these announcements. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stro. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay Color Computer goodness. Gaming DVD today, gameplay head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stro. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stro sent you. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. We're back. So the first part of our show was dealing with our next, uh, you know, next layer of knowledge with assembly, and that was good. We're going to continue that as time goes on. Um, but now we're going to talk about the basic language, which, as everybody knows, basic is slower than assembly because basic is what's considered to be a high-level <coughs> language, and you know, uh, assembly is a low-level language, but. In addition to being a high-level language, it also has to be interpreted. So every single time your basic program is going around in circles, every single line and every single statement that's in your basic program has to be reinterpreted back from the basic language to another language. And, you know, so there's a lot of overhead and a lot of reinterpreting and recalculating over and over and over again, which makes basic highly inefficient for doing anything that requires speed. It's convenient because it's an easy language to learn. It's, you know, easy to pick up and, and be proficient with, but it's not designed for bare metal performance like assembly is, right? So is that a good introduction to why it's slow, James? Uh, it touches it, yeah. <laughs> right, you, you, well, you can you can touch it more if you'd like. It's now <laughs> no, there's touching the heron. There's a lot of other okay. things that slow down basic in yeah. there, too. Doing real numbers... Yeah takes a lot of time yeah um, okay um, I've got a sort of a slide presentation that I'm using to kind of guide me on this and I'll make it available for download later if anybody wants it but uh, it'll ju it's just mostly to keep me on track um, yeah why is basic so slow now this applies primarily to the uh, cocoa and the MC 10 because they work um, almost identically um, the 6502 version is very close. There are some differences on the Z80 version of Microsoft Basic, but um, this is specifically to how Microsoft Basic works. Now, um, the the first thing um, here, I'm going to here are the topics I'm going to talk about. Uh, what is an interpreter? The the tokenizer, 8-bit versus 16-bit, and the 6800 legacy, floating point math variable storage, runtime math evaluation, garbage collection, and running a program step by step. So are you gonna is, share are you gonna screen share this slideshow or are you just reading it? I can't. It off? I, I okay. don't have a, I'm just reading it off because I I don't have a fast enough connection. Sorry. I'd hope to get it to you sooner but Okay. No problem. Um, um an interpreter is a computer program that directly executes performs instructions written in a programming or scripting language without requiring, well, this is from Wiki, 
Uh, basically, it parses the source code and performs its behavior directly. Okay, that's the Wikipedia definition. Um, what it means for uh, Microsoft Basic is it makes no attempt to convert the program to machine code. Uh, it, so it's not directly executed. The code is still human readable or can be quickly translated back to human readable code. And it makes minimal changes to the source code to speed up interpretation. Okay. Um, and that will become very obvious. <laughs> um, the 8-bit versus 16-bit and the 6800 legacy. One of the first things you need to know about the basic interpreter on the Coco and MC10 is it's derived from a version they wrote for the 6800 um, shortly after they completed the one for the 8080 um, back in the early Microsoft days. Um, it has minimal optimizations that take advantage of the 6809 or 6803's additional 16-bit features or new registers. Uh, the, math, the math library is probably the most obvious area uh, where this is evident. Um, it is largely unchanged from the 6800 version, and it is almost everything is done with 8-bit registers. Um, it uses like the A register and for doing addition and the and the B register to count loops instead of having the D register, you know, add 16 bits at a time. It, this makes it slower and larger than the code needs to be. Now, 16-bit um, code isn't always smaller, but it is definitely faster. Now, uh, this is one of the areas that I focused on on the MC10, but it's something I really, there's only so much I can do on the, uh, on the Coco because it's, very possibly going to break things um, due to the number of changes. The the uh, the floating point math library is, uh, is actually 2K of uh, color basic and um, the MC10's micro color basic. So out of you know if you look at the whole interpreter, 2K out of 8K is the math. Wow. So that's and when I optimized. Uh, the the MC10 math library, it, I still focused on size, anything that made the code smaller, but and at least the same speed got optimized. Okay, so uh, even it doesn't fully optimize, you know, what's going on. Um, the floating point math, um, all all variables on both interpreters are, matter of fact, uh, and on the 60. 502 versions that Microsoft did are stored as floating point numbers. Now, all so they're stored as floating point. All math is performed using floating point unless it's simple counters and things like that internal to the interpreter. Floating point math is performed. Um, a, lot, a lot of people see it as kind of magic. Um, it's actually performed the same as integer math, but it uses larger numbers, it requires extra steps, and on an integer, if you add, for example, if you add two numbers um, and, it, and it carries over to a larger digit, um, 
you it just keeps going until you run out of space and then you have an overflow. On floating point mass, it works a little differently. It goes to the right, um, and, and if you over if you overflow, what happens is it truncates digits off of the right. Um, so you you so do basically not have so basically the real the the numbers it uses are scientific notation numbers. Right. Uh, it's stored as uh, well. It uh, I'm going to get into how it's stored a little bit more pretty quick here, um, but it it's stored as four digits for the uh, mantissa, and then one digit. Uh, by digit, I mean bytes, for the um, exponent, and then there's some stuff going on with the sign bit, and something called extended precision, which I'll talk about more. Um, the biggest difference, I, I mean, if you add two numbers, I mean, you can directly take the mantissa and add them together, but you have an extra step because they can be a different exponent. You have to first. You have to normalize them to uh, make them the same exponent before you add them together. And then once you've added them them together, then you normalize it to get rid of any zeros to the left, so that you don't lose precision in any future calculations. Now, what something unique? To the Coco and the MC10 that isn't on the 6502 code is they have what's called extended precision. They have an additional byte used during the calculation, so that fewer digits are or bits are dropped off on the right side. Now the, they also have the ex, extra step of dealing with the signs separately. If you add signed integers, it, it's handled automatically. Yeah, you know, it's handled. Uh, you add two 16-bit signed integers, and you add a negative to a positive. It, it's basically the same as subtracting, and it's handled by the processor. In the, it must be handled by the floating point library. Um, it has to evaluate that. Uh, so it's it's not a automatic process. It's a very manual process. Um, since all math is performed by the floating point library, it for speed it uses some floating point registers reserved in memory. They're they're software floating point registers. So every time it wants to add a couple numbers, it has to copy the numbers from where they're stored in variables to the floating point registers, do perform the operation, and then copy them back when everything's done. So you have overhead of copying things back and forth. Nothing takes place directly in the variables themselves. Now, there's an additional issue. Numbers are stored in uh, variables in a packed form and that must be unpacked uh, to load certain the, the floating point registers where most of the real operation goes. There's uh, uh, two floating point registers for that are where most of the addition, subtraction, multiplication, division goes. And then there are some temporary ones just for storing things temporarily. But in packed form, the sign is the leftmost digit on the mantissa 
In an unpacked form, it is a separate byte to make it easier to deal with. But but you have to combine or break out the the um, the sign bit whenever you uh, unpack or pack. So there's extra steps involved there. So even the temporary storage spaces are in packed form. So yeah, some of the routines can have a lot of overhead going from one to the other. And if you think the interpreter is slow, it's the, the or the an eight bit processor is slow just because of looking at you know a basic program. If you knew exactly how much is really going on behind the scenes just on the math, you know, my train is going by. Um, <laughs> it's actually going quite fast because it is doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Now, one of the problems with floating point numbers is you are truncating off the right, so some numbers cannot be represented exactly. Okay? Now, uh, we get into runtime math evaluation. Um, your, this goes to, I, I think I should change the order of my slides here. Um, um, constants must be converted from ASCII to floating point. Um, const, uh, when I, I skipped a slide on tokenizing, that's what's wrong. <laughs> Um, it when when the when you type in a a, a program, um, when you type in a line, it once you hit enter, it changes the line number at the start of your line to a 16-bit integer. It converts the basic keywords to tokens that it finds. It, it basically scans for words that are basic keywords from a list that it has. Then it terminates the line with a zero. Then it inserts it into a, the code, is, um, which is a linked list of the lines. It does no syntax checking, and it does no conversion of numbers into computer-readable form. And that one is very important. Because it doesn't convert anything into a computer-readable form, every time the line executes it, it has to do it over again. Okay? All right, so pause right there for just a second. And by the way, what slide number are we on out of how many slides? Oh, we are two-thirds of the way through it already. Where how, how much? This is a short... This is... I'm on eight out of 12 or something like that. It's This okay. is a short introduction. Okay. So I just want to pause you right there. I want to make sure I understood what you said because this is something that was explained to me, and now that I understand it, I think it's helping some of the stuff I'm doing. All right, so you mentioned in a line in a line number, you have the line number itself. So let's say I have line 10. So line 10 gets converted to a 16-bit token for the line number, like a placeholder, like the label that Steve showed us in assembly, right? Like exactly. the start and the start and the time loop and stuff. All right, and then the, the different words like for and next and stuff, those are tokenized, so they become some type of hexadecimal they, number that... Well, they become a byte. They become a byte, so it's so it's okay. And then you said the constant. So the constant is a number. So um, right. So if I said uh, if I had like the number two in there, that number two, if being referred to by the number two as a constant number, that number is being processed as a as a basically text, 
initially. It is right? an, it is ASCII text. ASCII text. So the even though we know it or we want it to be a, a numeric, um, the interpreter is looking at it as text. So even though it's not numeric to begin with, it needs to be converted from text to numeric. Right. And yeah, that also so slows things down further. This is why putting things in variables at the top of the program, any constants, mm -hmm. uh, if you use two repeatedly, um, yeah, if or anything like that, or pi, whatever, if you put it in a variable, it's faster because it doesn't have to go through the conversion. Right. Yeah, it does the ASCII okay. conversion to the number once mm -hmm. when you're assigning it to the variable? It, if you put it as a constant, like if you have a line that says let a equals two plus B or something that two has to be interpreted from ASCII converted over to a numeric format internally every time that line's executed. Right. Now, uh, the, the interpreter, one of the things that you could do to speed it up is to convert them to a, like a integers to a 16 bit integer and have a token to identify that that's what something is, or you could convert something to a floating point number. The problem with that, it goes back to there. some numbers don't have an exact floating point representation. So when you list a program after you type it in, if it converts a floating point, you know, number two floating point instead of ASCII text, well, if you list it and there isn't an exact representation, then you're going to get a weird looking number coming back. So th there is a reason they didn't do some of this. Now, now how, how many accurate digits does uh, Microsoft Basic handle? Is it nine digits per? Um, whatever four bytes Mantissa does and one byte exponent. I don't remember. Yeah, so if you have a really large number, like say a quintillion or something like that, it's going to shift it, the exponent up to say, you know, this is a really big number, so multiply the whole thing by whatever, but only nine digits will be accurate. So if you actually had it, say, a 10-digit number, and every digit was different, it's going to lop off the ones on the right-hand side. It only going to keep nine. Exactly. And if you compare speed of, the like, the MC-10 and the Coco versus the Apple II and the Commodore 64, even though they're uh, Microsoft Basic interpreters, the Coco, well, first of all, there's that extended precision. It uses the extra byte to prevent you know, dropping on that bits unnecessarily when it before it starts adjusting uh, the um, um, where you know shifting it so that there's no zeros in front of it when it normalizes it. On the uh, 6502 versions, there's only a three-byte mantissa instead of a four-byte mantissa, and it doesn't have the um, extended precision and everything. So. So they're less accurate numbers. Basically. They're less accurate, and they're doing less work. It's like, like now, the Pentium bug from years back. <laughs> I think that's slightly different, but... Yeah. Um, now, I've already touched on some of what I'm going to talk about here, and that's variable storage. Um, one of the optimizations that you know you do on basic is you define your variables at the top of the code to make in the order that they're most used to least used and the reason that that speeds up the program is because variables are added to system memory in the order they are first used and then by variable type uh, so they're kept in the order they are defined and 
the interpreter has to search through the variable list every time a variable is used in order to use it. Compilers have a, just put a pointer to whatever your variable is, and they just know it internally when they're generating the code. But the interpreter doesn't know where they are. So it ha every time you use a variable, it has to search through the variable list, get looking for that name. Now, variables are, are um, stored as two characters. Your code can have as many characters as, what, eight or something like that that it allows. I don't remember how many. No, actually, only but two. But only two of, well, no, you can have longer names. It just but ignores it only, everything past the first two. It ignores everything after the first two. So you can ah. make your code very readable if you want to, but in the variable list, it only stores a 16-bit value for the variable name. Gotcha. Um, now, the system tracks space for the stack, uh, for pushing temporary values and, and things that go on during the interpreter. It pushes uh, variables for uh, your four next loops and things like that to the stack. Um, it Then it has an variable for for variables that is reserved and then the then you have an area where it's reserved for the for the program and the system has to check if you make a string longer it has to check to see if there's room you know so you don't overwrite your program because it builds it from the top down your variable space and it builds from the program when you're entering it from the bottom up and then you're out of memory if you know if the, the numbers cross. So it has to check things like that to make sure you don't overwrite your program. So there, there's another bit of overhead involved. Um, now this brings us to something called garbage collection. String variables can change in size. Um, you can make them larger or smaller. So it has to adjust the variable space to every time you free a, some string space by making a variable shorter or it has to allocate more space by making it larger and every time the system does this it requires copying the blocks of memory um, where the string is stored and any strings after it up or down in memory is needed so there is a lot of overhead in that. And every time you define a new variable, in fact, it has to insert it into the list. Say, if you've uh, defined some, um, some floating point num variables and you define a string and then you define more floating point variables, what it has to do is it has to take everything you did with strings and it has to move, move them up or, or down. It has to move them down in memory so there's room for the new variable you created. So it basically does a memory copy and then it places the new floating point number at the end of the list of floating point numbers. And Basically, it has to move a lot of memory around, and every every time you do something, it has to clean up. And so they call it garbage collection, and it's pretty much just memory moves. Now, um, 
when a program actually runs, and it, here's where a lot of this comes in, um, it grabs a copy of the current line number, it skips the pointer to the next line, which is used as part of the linked list, and the first thing it does is it checks to see if the break key has been pressed. Then it calls a common function that everything uses to parse with, it's called careget. Um, it, the, uh, the disassembly for the COCO does not name it as CareGet. Uh, I, I would have to look up what it listed it as, but it's on the 6502 and the 6803 disassemblies. It's all labeled as CareGet, and I can provide that information later from the 6809 disassembly. Um, but it calls this to retrieve a byte of code. Now, this is a piece of code that is on the direct page RAM that um, Steve was talking about. And the reason it copies it there is so it can use self-modifying code. The, it increments a, the value at the end of a load instruction, a, an immediate memory load, which so you have the opcode for load and then the address to load from and, and like load A. And what it does is it increments the first byte of the of the the least significant byte of that address. And then if there's no carry, then it jumps to the load. It loads the byte and then it jumps back to ROM. And then in ROM, it checks to see if it's um, a zero for an end of line. It checks to see if it is a legal token. And if it's not a legal token, then it generates an error. If it is a legal token, then it looks uh, if, and, and it determines that by a range check, which it has to do. So, so not everything that is tokenized can be executed at this point. They, they are something that should be um, only part of parsing or executing an actual command. But uh, like um, things like for, next, if, then, else, the, the, your, your main stuff is within this range. Um, if it is a valid token that it can use, it has to look up the address of in a uh, table, which involves um, multiplying it by two, because it's a 16-bit table, so there's two bytes for each one. So this will give the offset into the table. And then it loads the address, and then it calls it. Now, once it's at the actual address of the code for doing like a for loop or, or an if, then, else, next, whatever, then it has to do additional parsing for that code. And that's where you, it has to look up the variables, it has to look up your, um, um, convert your ASCII to, you know, constants to a floating point and things like that. Um, now, the uh, other thing it checks for is an end of a line, and lines are terminated with a zero, as I said before, and that's how it knows it comes to the end of the line, and then it has to deal with doing another line, 
But once it's done interpreting an individual command, which involves checking syntax, parsing additional data using the same caregap function, or getting the previous character, it doesn't remember what it got. It just calls the code that actually does the load part of the care get and reloads the byte because you don't have enough registers to store everything. And once it's done processing the current token, the current you know command in the line, then it returns back to the main loop again, which um, checks for the break key, calls the care get, looks for another byte of code, is it a legal token, and it does this over and over again. And checking the break key takes a, uh, a lot of instructions, and it does this for every single time. So there's a lot of overhead involved in that. Now, now James, I was going to ask, um, I, if I remember correctly, Color Basic 1.3 modified the break check routine so it wasn't called quite as commonly not quite as often as actually it actually was kind of advertised as being a little bit faster as a basic interpreter. Have you encountered that too when you've gone through it? I haven't looked at 1.3, but one of the optimizations I did on the MC10 was I only called the break key check every, I think I came out with about 20 some passes through it. Uh, I, I added a counter and I just decrement it. About every 26th time through it, because, you know, if you've got a 256 characters on your line and about a third of that line is actual commands and not parameters for them, you're calling that break a lot on one single line. And, yeah. and, and that's not and, just like quickly read a memory location. That's set up the PIA scan or write out exact, the yeah, it, it has row to column for the, the, you know, the PIA to and then read it back and figure out what key got hit. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not trivial. It is non-trivial. All right, which is one of the things that I've read too was if you disable the break key from basic, it does speed it up. And you've just kind of explained why. Right. Now, the reason you can disable the break key is they have some hooks in RAM um, that can, you, where you can intercept and upgrade the interpreter. And part of the ROM upgrades, you know, adding additional ROM, you can point to a different address to handle when it returns back to the main loop. And you could deal with checking for the break key differently and then skip the normal break key check. And that's w one of the smart things they, they did in, in BASIC. Yeah, and even but, it allows you to extend BASIC because that's how Color BASIC has these BASIC hooks and then extended BASIC took over some of those to add the extended BASIC commands. Disk exactly. BASIC did it again. Super extended the Cocoa 3 did it a fourth time. Right. And now, the one thing about the super extended Cocoa 3 BASIC is that they use the interrupt to look for the break key. That way it only happens 60 times a second. Right, right. And um, the only, uh, one of the things I was checking on the MC10 version is how responsive is the break key. And if I only needed to, uh, I, I think I tried as high as 32 uh, passes, you know, bef between checks. And it, 
you started to feel a delay after about 32, but if you consider how much goes on between 32 passes through that, you know, it's uh, out of a 256 byte line, that's, that's probably half the line, you know, or something like that or better. So yeah, it, the doing it off the interrupt makes a big difference. And and the Coco three, you can also can't you patch it so that it generates an interrupt only when um, you press a key. Doesn't that wasn't that one of the? Yeah, the Gimme has a keyboard interrupt. Yeah, but I found it very useless because the um, joystick buttons can affect it. Ah. <laughs> We will return after these messages. How does it feel? I'm still what if you could go back in time to just the right moment and ensure that Tandy won? You definitely earned this office. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Life has been a dream. <laughs> but what if you went back to the wrong moment? Give me that. How do you even know what that was? Listen, I don't really care about these blueprints. I just want Say, who are you? You want to spy for Commodore or something, are you? Just move! Oh. Hey, hey, hold the elevator! Hold the up! Stop right there! Whoa, whoa, no need for guns, no need for guns! So, Mr. Anders, it seems you have stumbled upon my little secret. There is no point in waiting for security. I think you are about to have an accident. Okay, no, 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 no! Coco, forever? Okay. Now, when it comes to optimizing the interpreter, um, your your key things are the math library, um, and as I said, it doesn't do any 16-bit optimizations really. Um, you add two numbers, you can change it so it adds your your mantissa uh, 16 bits at a time. Uh, when, the, the real optimization with the math library, though, was the floating point, because if you know how uh, an 8-bit multiply works, you're doing a loop, and you're adding uh, one byte at a time in, in the math library. Uh, if you're multiplying two numbers, it takes one byte and adds it to the number... Uh, the number of times is the other number. It's 
very time consuming and it also every pass through that loop it shifts every byte a, a bit to the right and what the uh, the the key optimization there was was to use the hardware multiply and instead of it it totally eliminates the shifts i just store everything a byte to the right and i multiply a byte at a time and with the 6309 it has um, a 16-bit signed multiply, which um, I haven't checked to see what the implications of the signed multiply will, would be, but um, I, I have a feeling it'll not be quite as straightforward. Yeah, the signed bit kind of screws it up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, there, there's potential there for us for speed up. The the big thing was that, uh, I I figured it was I could probably do. Um, a multiply by a byte or something like, or, or divide by a byte. I, I figured maybe I could figure out a way to do that, but uh, it would be wasting the 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 six top um, sixty-eight bit, you know, value the most significant byte to do the divide. Something like that I figured out, but I haven't implemented it yet. Um, your uh, final. Um, final thing that you you have during the runtime is searching for line numbers. When you do a go to a go sub or something like that, um, the interpreter takes and has to convert the the line number to to uh, from ASCII to floating. Well, it kind of converts it to not from to floating point, but to a sixteen bit integer. And then it checks it against the current line number, which it stored when it started executing the line. And if it's greater than that line number, then it starts searching from that point in the linked list on, looking for it until it finds it. And if it's not greater than it, it starts from the start of the program. This is why if you put your go sub uh, functions at the top of the program, your subroutines, it, this is why it will find them quicker there than at the end of the program. And it really makes a difference if you have a really long program. And this is, and if you consider, um, you know, the numbers are stored as ASCII, if you renumber your program in to be by step by one, then it means smaller numbers to convert in the ASCII to, you know, fewer digits to convert from the ASCII to the 16-bit uh, integer. So that's where most of your optimizations come there. And so you, you have the initialize your variables in order to, to make them found in the variable list faster. You have the line numbers so that you have fewer digits to convert and then we have all the optimizations to do with the interpreter somebody's got static I don't know anyway um, the, the the other optimizations that I mm -hmm. focused on on the on the interpreter have to do with the care get function um, on the 6502 the entire function that tests the results of loading the next byte 
take place in the memory on the direct page and it doesn't go to the ROM again um, until it's has to you know present an error message or something like that so there is a bit of overhead on that and it that amounted to three or four percent or something in speed alone um, the the uh, 60 the MC10 and the Coco yeah they they only get the character there and then they do all the tests and wrong so that's a real penalty on on their interpreters and one of the things I did was move as much as I could to the direct page um, other optimizations get into individual lines of code and um, optimizing the clear screen by switching it to 16-bit uh, writing 16-bit values to it instead of 8 bits uh, there are memory moves dealing with the variables you, you know for your variable table whenever you insert a new variable or when you do uh, garbage collection changing those from 8-bit to 16-bit moves uh, the 6309 really would make a difference on those because it's easy to fit in the same amount of space uh, you know you, you're actually going to use less space and um, anything beyond that you start getting into changing fundamentally how the interpreter works and isn't really something you can do on the Coco. Uh, I got away with a lot of things on the MC10 because it's, you know, there was no software. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, the one problem with backwards compatibility for Coco Basic when you start modifying Basic for things like this is that, I mean, Radio Shack and Microsoft gave you a, a few API calls that are listed in the back of the Color Basic manual like Polecat to read the keyboard and stuff right. that are quote-unquote official, and you're supposed to use those. But they're also slow, and there's not very many of them. It's not a lot of useful functions. So a lot of people, if they're using the ROMs, would call the ROM routine directly. It jumps straight to that memory address where you know whatever right. routine they want it to do is. So if you have to make code a little bit bigger to speed it up, and you've now shifted where that address is, any exactly. of the old programs that tried to call them break. They'll just jump into the middle of a routine at random. And, and you can have the machine crash, you can get results back that aren't correct, I mean, it can cause all kinds of problems. And we went through this with Disk Basic because they broke their own rule on that one. Uh, when Disk Basic 1.1 <laughs> came out, they added the DOS command, they shifted all the ROM routines to make room for the DOS command. And then a lot of software that was written, like I remember the original version of Telewriter, the original version of uh, Super Color Writer, which later became VIP Writer, had all used these you know, fixed ROM routines on Disk Basic 1.0, and they all completely broke as soon as 1.1 came out. And everybody had to scramble and patch everything back up again. So that's that's why. Right, right. Now, if if we wanted to speed it up, um, there's there's another optimization I have planned for the MC10 that instead of saving the line the current line number, it saves the pointer to the current line. And uh, one of the things that happens, like if you have an if then function if the condition is false it doesn't execute that code and there's nothing else at the end of the line it has to search for the the term the line terminator the zero instead of just getting the pointer to the next line and and loading it 
Okay. That that's so if you have a a line that you have if a equals seven, then and you have two hundred plus characters, you know, you know, a, a code that's two hundred some characters long there. After it's tokenized, it's going to be shorter, but it has to go one character at a time looking for a zero if it doesn't execute the then what's in the then statement so one of the optimizations is to um, load the pointer to the next line instead of the line number and then when it needs to deal with the line number it uses the pointer to the current line to load the line number and in for loops it stores um, a state of um, that's hard to ex explain. It, it stores a bunch of information like whatever the current line number is and stuff like that. And then once you come out of an inner for loop or whatever, you can grab the state of whatever the system variables it needs for current processing, processing the current line out of it. It would need to add that to the for next structure um, so that you could grab that current line line address instead of the line number and if there's a few things like that that change and it's um, it's most code wouldn't break but like you said if there's any wrong calls that are not documented it's a problem yeah and one thing I wanted to bring up on, on, on declaring your variables first, I mean, there's two ways you can declare variables. You can either initialize them by putting like A equals zero, one of, but allocates space for A. And right. as you mentioned, if you put these all at the beginning of the program, it pre-allocates all the space, and then it doesn't have to do all the garbage collection, shifting things around every time you create a new variable halfway through your program. Um, if you don't need to initialize them, though, you can actually use dim and then the variable name. Now, when I read the right. basic manual originally, it kind of hinted that dim was meant for arrays only. And it's not. You can just do dim a string or dim b comma c comma d, and that'll allocate the space for you know numeric variables b, c, and d. Preallocate right, them can, so that you don't have to worry you about can it. So, you can allocate a whole bunch of them at once. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to go and figure out in your program which variables are going to be used the most often. So if you have variables that are used inside of loops, for example, that are you mean know, you might call it fifty times in a row in a loop. So that should be the type of variable you dim first. So let's say I have a loop that's doing b equals b times 2 or something. Uh, then you would go do a dim b at the very beginning of the program. And then it starts looking through, okay, I'm doing a b equals b times 2. And it's looking through, where did I store b? i got to find out where I put the value of b. You'll have that defined first, so it'll find it immediately. So anything that you have inside of loops, that's what you want to dim first. And then you know the, your ought, less often used variables you put later on. But you can dim them all right at the very beginning without having to set them to certain values. Right. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah. Now, one of the things I found out when you switch to the 16-bit memory moves for uh, as the garbage collection and uh, and variable allocation code, by switching to a 16-bit uh, memory move, it cut uh, what was it a second and a half to two seconds off of some of the MC10 programs on uh, startup times. It, 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 it was amazing how much time was spent, you know, doing memory moves. And it takes, well, it takes less than half the time because you, you aren't just, um, you, you're cutting the number of passes through the loop in half. 
but you're also cutting the number of tests of your address in half. For those of you who are listening right now on the audio podcast, you might want to um, pull up the video portion of this because this is the three-minute warning. I actually, You'll actually see me type out there. I put out a message in Skype saying, guys, we need to end this or I will rage quit. So you can see me doing it. And then exactly three minutes from that point is when the button was pressed. So here we go. Countdown. Three minutes to meltdown. Yeah, to see if you're down the loop or not, like you know. right, and, and it and it makes a, uh, an impressive difference. The the big problem with it is it's larger because you have to deal with the single byte that has to be moved it, you know, under some circumstances. So, now, do you know uh, the size of these at the beginning, or do you have to figure that out as you go along? It just gives you addresses a number of bytes so to move. Oh, so it does give you a number of bytes? Right. Like you know you got to copy 65 bytes. It's not like I have to keep looking until the string's terminated. No, so so if if the you can do a right shift of the number of bytes to copy and and it does limit it to 256 bytes. Uh, you can right shift it and if there's a carry, then you can copy the first byte and drop into the 16-bit move, and if it's um, just 16-bit, it jumps past that and does the 16-bit memory move. Now, that is currently not active in my code on the MC10 because that extra condition made it too large to fit in ROM. But like I said, it, it cuts seconds off your startup time and I imagine that when you start doing a lot, I haven't done a lot of string manipulation yet to, to test it, but when you start doing a lot of string manipulation, I'm sure it will make a significant difference on that as well. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons, you know, it's very unrealistic comparison if you benchmark like the Apple II and C64 against the MC10 and, and Coco. It, you know, they look very close to the same speed. The, the code doesn't really take advantage of 16 bits. The math doesn't. The memory moves don't. The screen clears don't. The screen scrolls don't. Um, the only really significant place where the 6803 and 6809 code take advantage of the D register is searching through for a line number. And... You know that that's about the only place that they really. I, I'm sure there's a couple other places, but that's that's the main one I can think of that's time consuming. And the the if you compare them using basic benchmarks, it, it really doesn't reflect the difference in speed of the processors. Yeah. Now, well, the, they just kind of, they just kind of had a boilerplate version of it, and they just quickly ported it. Right. Everything. Right. Well, they they took the 6800 code. They made a handful of obvious optimizations they said i am not messing with that you have now seen 
what was broadcast live for episode 66 and how abruptly it ended. What's going to follow now is the tail end of a probably three-hour live stream we had Saturday night where we were testing a bunch of Skype alternatives. So we tried Google Hangouts, we tried using Discord, we tried a few things. Um, and since that test, we've actually tried another platform that we're actually using now. But we actually came together and said, all right, let's address the Skype problem. Let's try alternatives to Skype. Let's see what we can do to at least alleviate one more problem from next week's show. So we literally did band together and um, ended up being able to, like I say, laugh about the day and the episode. And it really shows our um, commitment to each other and to the community and to this show and that we're friends because friends can make mistakes and friends can do things to upset other friends. And if you have a good friendship and a good relationship, hopefully you can move past that and it's not the end of the world. So it really, to me, um, reaffirmed the word community that we throw out sometimes um, that there really was that sense of community. So for me to have this discussion later on that night was very therapeutic, was very healing, and it was nice closure to what started off as a really crappy day for me because I just felt bad all day. But by the end of the night, we all had some laughs and moved forward. And um, this week's show, episode 67, was a great show. It ended up being about almost a four-hour show, but it was a jam-packed show full of great content. And we're still here, and hopefully we aren't going anywhere. So um, here's the bonus part of the show. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you again on Coco Talk. There's no mom. Is that a is that a halo on top of Brian's head? <laughs> Glowing and swirling. <laughs> oh, see, there yeah, you go. Yeah, there's the halos on his head. <laughs> That's information coming down from the <laughs> internet into his brain. He just got struck by lightning. <laughs> it's very even, or not, but 10 people on, right? So. It turned my video off. Yeah, we didn't want to look at you anyways. Hey. <laughs> Where'd Nick go? There's Coco, man. Nick. Uh, I turned uh, him back on. There he is. Okay, Nick Marota's in. Hey, Nick, how are you? Good, how are you, man? Good. We're testing Discord as a possible option for Coco Talk Live. Yeah, I've been watching you guys, I know. Okay, Nick Marota's in. Hey. Okay, well, we can hear you. You need to mute uh, YouTube at this point now, I think. All right. <laughs> Good, how are you, man? Yeah, I got three, three things open. Hold on. <laughs> like a Jamaican now. I got three teams hello, open, hello, dear. Three cola. Hey, Jason, there's a cop to the back of you. <laughs> he no, looked. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? I would love to see uh, uh, Jason get pulled over right now. Hey, I'm hands-free. And it'd be a it'll be a, a woman with big boobs police officer. <laughs> Can't be hands free, Jason. You gotta have your hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> um I'm in favor of trying a show with this. Try we gotta try a real show. I say we give it a shot like. next week and see what why happens. Why start now? What's what'd you say, Jason? Then why start now with a real show? <laughs> what is Craving Storm asking here? Craving Storm on Mixer is watching because I because I am 
I'm multi-streaming to the multiverse, so I have somebody on Mixer asking me a bunch of weird questions, looking for Chris or Roger. I don't know what's going on, but hello to you, Craving Storm. Mixer. Okay. What, what are we mixing? Like, are yeah. we making cookie dough? <laughs> yes. Um, not a big fan of the Skype update. Not a fan of the Skype update. Are you no, going to no. put the old Skype back on? Couldn't tell. Yeah, I can. I, I just think it's a good idea, just in case we have yeah, problems. Yeah, as a backup. Yeah, yeah. In, I'll, yeah. I'll put the old Skype on as a backup. And shut uh, off auto update. <laughs> it asked me. It asked me if I wanted to update, and I, I foolishly you know, said yes. Foolishly said yes. Yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah, before it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> Would you like to replace your current Skype with a completely non-functional version? Yes, please. Now, how much would you pay? <laughs> no more updates on show day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I should know better. Working in IT. I, I think this know. will be the, this is the only the second weekend in two plus years that we didn't have a show. Well, we had a, we had a show for almost two hours. What the hell was that? That was somebody who subscribed. Al Hartman just subscribed, I think, on, oh. I don't know if it was on YouTube or Twitch or whatever. So, was it a I live? didn't even hear anything. Yeah, I just happened up to, on YouTube. I just saw it on, yeah. on uh, <laughs> somebody, YouTube. Somebody followed earlier today and it showed up as like a psychedelic rainbow sheep that was dancing across <laughs> the screen. <laughs> Steve Bjork saw it goes, what the hell is that psychedelic sheep doing? <laughs> we were testing his Sprite compiler. That's what yeah. we were so, yeah, that's why I suggest go ahead and put the old one back on as a backup. We can try mm -hmm. Discord next week, and if it's too much of a train wreck, then we can switch back to Skype next yeah. week. Yeah. Okay. Define train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Coco talk. The thing, oh, there we go. I can double click it. I rage quit, rage quit, rage quit, rage quit, rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can double click without having to take it out of full screen. So, I just double click Coco Man. Let's double click Greg. There's Greg. This is the story of a lovely lady. <laughs> hey, Brian. Good night. All right. Curtis. Curtis, what's that freaking thing over your head there? Is that for you to beat your head into it? I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Canadian borders got yeah, you blocked. That, that's my uh, rage quit mechanism. I bang my <laughs> head against that <laughs> Earlier today, you would have seen blood dripping off of it. How <laughs> much? Maybe we can try. Uh, maybe we can try to do a makeup show tomorrow, and we'll try it on this and see how we okay. like it. Okay, I, I won't be able to make tomorrow because I'm way too swamped with work to take another mm. couple hours out of my day. All right. Yeah. Priorities, Curtis. See, priorities. I'm rage quitting ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll today take the makeup show and tack it onto the end. In Tack it on to the end of the uh, the uh, the lost episode from today. Yeah, right. It'll be in the bonus they features on the DVD release. Yeah, right. They got a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> We've come back to the show. It's a cliffhanger. <laughs> episode sixty-six B. <laughs> Last episode of Gone Coco Talk. Right. On now Coco this Talk. week on Coco Talk, everybody else rage quits and leaves Steve hanging by himself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> Steve will be talking off some bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> hanging out in the wind. 
You didn't look uh, mad on screen, though, Steve. You just kind of looked around a bit, and all of a sudden the feed just kind of stopped. <laughs> so it wasn't like you threw anything or anything. Do you like want to? Do you want to? Okay. Do you want to see the very end of the video? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Okay. That'd be right. kind of funny. We're gonna pull up the very end of the video. Oh, is it gonna be on YouTube or? No, no. Well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm pulling it up on my desktop PC, and I'm gonna screen share. Oh, okay. Share. And you can share. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty you new to this. You were gonna cut Steve's. Uh... Assembly talk out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Why am I seeing the wrong freaking screen? I'm on full screen. Oh, you you could put that out there if you just come up with an ending for it. Just just put a just put a just come up with a black screen or uh, test pattern. Or better yet, just just come up with a black screen and start playing. Don't stop believing. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Scott sucks. The interesting thing was is that if you're watching Stevie's camera down at the bottom, you can actually see him slowly start to melt down. Yeah. Well, you're going to see him in a second. I was watching it. I was like, uh-oh. Something's going to happen. All right. So oh, I'm going okay. to mute the audio. How do I do that? Okay. So we're going to fast forward look towards close. the end. I must not look closely enough. Okay. So here's towards the end here. How many? Okay, this is at one fifty-five. We got about three minutes left. I'm not sure, and I'm obviously I'm kind of small. All right, so I, I can tell by looking at me, I'm already starting to get annoyed here. All and then right. the headphones came off, and then yeah. I was like, "Uh-oh." Yeah, you can see he's breathing heavy. Yeah. So right around here. Okay. So here's why I take the freaking headphones. Yeah. <laughs> Look at how red his face is. Oh. Uh, Local recording has at least been saved. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, save this. You might be able to make some good use out of this for the end of the year. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. I, I mean, I, when I when I hang up, I just hit a button, so it's not like I smashed anything or anything like that. But you can, like... you know, Steve's really thinking hard here. <laughs> He's like, what the hell? <laughs> I know a video of Bill Bixby. Oh, is here it goes. Here it goes. Here goes the headsets. Headsets is off at this point. <laughs> he's scratch. Oh, he's pissed. <laughs> no, I just my brain was my brain was just gonna explode. That's all. Are you itchy? <laughs> yeah, probably from having the headphones on. <laughs> I think it's this is when the rash started. Yeah, the steam is coming out. You can see it. <laughs> We're just watching you turn gray instantly or live. It's gonna have to I'm gonna have to animate some steam coming out of his ears. Yeah, right. Brian can do that. <laughs> He's not even listening at this point. I, I don't have any place to pull off, so the last thing you see is me reaching over for the hang-up button. That's right. Yeah, you reached over and boom, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm up at this. Oh, hell no. <laughs> uh, and then we're all like, who? The, the stream quit. No, Steve quit. <laughs> uh, I was just... Uh, this, this has not been a good day for me, so I'm sorry, guys. 
<laughs> we're, we're having fun now. <laughs> Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbeat the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on everybody, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. <laughs> oh, Brian, Brian will never let you forget this moment again. Oh, my God. Nope. <laughs> I can't wait to see that video next week. <laughs> I thought you got mad playing video games. <laughs> so, Steve, a question for you. Did you, did you realize that the entire stream was going to stop when you hung up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. yeah, I mean, I, I didn't give you guys. I thought a very that was long... an accidental thing that you just. I, I didn't give you guys a very long warning. I probably gave you about a thirteen-second warning, but I did put a message in in Skype chat. I said, "This needs to. You guys need to wrap this up, or I'm going to rage quit." I did put that message in <laughs> in Skype. Yeah, I but... saw the message after the rage quit yeah, yeah, happened, yeah. but. No, I just I I thought you had maybe just intended to hang yourself up and let you know the rest of us prattle on for a while, but uh, <laughs> no, no, not I, realizing so, the whole thing was going to die. Yeah, no, I just hit I hit uh, I hit end stream and I just hung up on Skype. You hit you hit that special screw you all Skype button. <laughs> Hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> you need to like have me in slow motion, like going through that whole mental freaking nervous breakdown in slow motion. We <laughs> just got the video, the soundtrack for the video for the best of year special. That, that could be a good commercial for like depressants. You know, are you? Uh, do you need to take some? Uh... <laughs> you you, you pause. Right, you I want to talk right to your doctor. Now, now we we we've. This is the moment where Stevie loses his shit. Uh, <laughs> do like a frame by frame Let's analysis. Watch. Yeah, that's yeah. a good. That's, there that's you go, good, frame uh, by frame, like the Brutus film. Ah, oh, Steve, you're a good sport, man. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at that particular moment, he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I know. We just saw, everybody's like, "You're gotta be joking." <laughs> he killed it. <laughs> James is back. Uh, <laughs> I was not surprised in the least. Steve was very uh, not happy with what was going on today. So when yeah, I happened, the whole like, day, oh, yeah. this was like bizarre world. The whole day yeah. was just upside down from the beginning. So <laughs> didn't surprise me in the least. Uh, well, you guys are still here, so I didn't piss everybody off. So I guess that's a good thing. Nah. I'll try harder next time. <laughs> I just came here to clean my desk up. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> here we go. Here, here's our optimizations. He's doing it with a question mark now instead of the print command. <laughs> Put the music back on, uh, Brian. <laughs> run that. Run it. <laughs> oh well, how are you doing that that's built you... in the keyboard of the mc10 are you doing this on an mc10 that's a nice feature i can't see it oh yeah because the 10 is weird the 10 looks like an egg Yeah, 
Yeah, you need to take just that corner of me and like crop that out and make it bigger and just run it in slow motion. <laughs> and then add the steam effects. <laughs> Smoke and... A bit of flames looking in the background right before the mm. end. <laughs> well, it's, we're doing almost another two-hour show about nothing. So, All right, ho- hello, okay. hello darkness, my old friend. There we go. I've come to talk with you. <laughs> I actually think I have a, a program somewhere that'll play that on the Coco. Oh, like the, uh, like the organ version of it somewhere. Okay, a long the four time voice ago. music one. Yeah. Uh, Did your wife ask how the show went, Steve? No, no. no. <laughs> uh, it was my fault, guys, and I'm sorry. At least we can now apologize and have fun at my expense. Oh, we will. <laughs> Always. Yeah, we, we didn't need this excuse for that. Come at on. Least, at least I'm consistent. I rage quit everything. I'm waiting next for the episode where you rage quit plugging a joystick in or something. Tell him go my trailer. I'm waiting for you to rage quit a rage quit. <laughs> yeah, when he suddenly comes back on. <laughs> that sounds like a double negative. <laughs> All right, so have have we beat this one to death? Yeah, I think we're good. I think we can do a test tomorrow or next Friday or Saturday before the show if you'd like. Okay. Well, I don't know if we want to try to finish today's show tomorrow. I know Curtis says he can't make it. I don't know if anybody's up for it. Maybe we can do a do-over. And try to yeah. redo the show. Are you planning on just like redoing the show or just depending? Well, we'll um, we're not we're not gonna. I I, I when we do um, James segment, I want to do it when we have the slides, so people can like see what he's talking about. I think that will help. So maybe yeah, we'll, and we'll maybe skip. cut it down so it's a couple segments, like over a couple so, weeks. So, but so, but I I'm the gonna, assembly language session was good. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna maybe edit that out. Maybe we can replay that next week. Um, and then whatever, we'll figure it out. Mulligan. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll just um, good. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, like thirteen people watching us right now. That's kind of cool. Um. Yeah. Just live on the air, testing and whatever. Steve, we watched you code. Apparently, we'll watch anything. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, you guys have not heard of Netflix or pornography. <laughs> uh, Too much more useful, useful uses of your time. <laughs> you're an awesome group of guys. It's really fun, man. Yeah, likewise. Next up right. is a live stream of Stevie in the bathroom. Literally. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna be oh. hitting. I'm gonna be hitting the rage quit button here in just a second. But <laughs> thank you all who were in the panel helping us test this out. Thank you guys who were watching. Um, you gonna play the end credits? <laughs> gonna end the show here's, here's here's what I'm gonna play. Hold on. I got, I got a surprise. <laughs> we're gonna go to. Maybe the toilet flush sound. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you can leave your hat on. Everyone come to me.
on the loose. <laughs> now you got to make one for the rage quit. You got to make a rage quit video. Uh, oh yeah, he said there'd be one coming for you next week. I don't know if you heard him or not. All right. All right, guys, we're going to end the live stream. I wasn't doing a local recording of this, but oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, save oh. it to the cloud. <laughs> yeah, save it to the cloud. Make it so, number one. All it right, was so. watching you melt down. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> My ignorance amuses you. <laughs> Where was David at? It would have been worse if it was David was on here. Actually, David tried joining in right at, at right uh, like 10 seconds of Steve Bridge. I, mean, I, I, I really yeah, look so like I showed up and everybody could, it dropped. What happened? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, guys. This this has been the best show we've ever. We're the only ones that will see it. The to, to, it. To quote Dave when he he sent me the message just as the show shut off, he goes, "Um, did Stevie have a breakdown?" <laughs> <laughs> Steve's gonna have to go away for a little while. Uh. <laughs> Away, ha ha. Ah, all right. It's all good. To, I don't know it's how to stop this games. at this point. Yeah. The only thing better than this now is uh, hard liquor. <laughs> or a combination of the two. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, let's. I mean, Both if, were. Any, if anybody's around tomorrow, we can try. We can try a, a redo of today's show tomorrow. Uh, if not, we'll just save it for next week. And we'll, by then, we'll have plenty of time to test. All our options. Yeah, and see and if just Microsoft put it in Discord anything. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for thanks for being here and doing this. And thanks There's for a place to give feedback, Steve. Maybe you should uh, do that. Give Skype yeah. some feedback. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's Hashtag, what I think of your program. Yeah. Hashtag fuck you, Skype. <laughs> <laughs> you should just send your little video of you getting more and more frustrated yes. on and hanging up on it. Send that. <laughs> What's Jason's catchphrase? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned one thing today Microsoft hasn't gotten any better than when they wrote the basic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, man. Too much. All right, guys. You and YouTube. Biden screwed up. We're we're ending the live uh, stream, YouTube. Goodbye, YouTube. Good night. Hello, darkness, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> i to talk with you again. Uh, I've got to get that video over to you, Brian, so you can make some video gold with it, man. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, and, and I think Roger Taylor says, yeah, I could I could mix that in with some Henry Rollins, you know, like some Rage Against the Machine or something like that too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh christ all right youtube we're signing off Bye. this concludes another episode of coco talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the tandy color computer for all things coco talk visit us on the web at cocotalk.live we'd love to hear from you send feedback suggestions even segments via email to coco talk 
at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Boyson Technologies at boysontech.com. Get your own switcheroo at cocoman.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvo, and Jason Reichert. Production motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shalar. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. 